The Word of God says in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 33, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey my voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do it. As they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in, the, in, in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. And if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And this is the word of the Lord. I'd like to call today's episode Advice for the Journey. Advice for the Journey. Now, there's a difference between advice for the journey and directions for the journey. See, in today's world, oftentimes, uh, if we're looking for directions to a certain location, all we do is we take the address and we plug it into uh, the app we're using, whether it be Waze or, or Google Maps or whatever it might be, and, and we get there. But sometimes there's a bit of a generation gap, and I'm going to someone's house, and instead of them giving me their address, which they still do, they want to explain. Now, you're going to go, you're going to see the 7-Eleven, you're going to go seven blocks past it, and then take a left, and from there, you know, and, you, and as they're giving the directions, you're actually kind of simultaneously thinking, I'm just going to put it into ways in the end. And uh, and so you're only half listening. But then you might be going on a long journey and somebody says things more like, well, you're going to want to buy gas in this particular town. Now, obviously, there are apps to find cheap gas. I get that. But a little less used. Um, and, and so they say, you know, just just know that after that price goes up, you know, extensively. And so... Uh, so, so those are the types of uh, pieces of advice that are helpful. They might say, hey, the last Chick-fil-A on your route is uh, at this exit. So, you know, if you want to get that, then you got to stop there. And you the last 55 exits, there is none. Those kinds of things we would call advice, advice for the journey, not directions, but just advice. That's where we are in Exodus 23 at this latter portion after the so-called Book of the Covenant, and before we go really back into the narrative of what's happening. And so, as we look at advice for the journey, what is the advice for the journey? Well, there are three things that we'll distinctly pull out of this passage and with um, quite a, a few sub-points along the way, but I want us to see exactly that. The way, the warning, and the walk. So, the way, the warning, and the walk. Now, look at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. So this is the first thing we want to see. We want to see the way in verse 20. And, and there's really four things that God is very clearly promising these children of Israel in this verse. I would suggest he's promising 
his position, his protection, his presence, and his provision. And I'm not going to go into much detail at all on these. I just want you to notice them. First, notice he says, behold, I sent an angel before you. This is important because in, in a minute we're going to see who this angel is, but we see before you indicates his position. In other words, he's leading the way. He's not asking you to go where he has not already gone. And this is the beauty of walking with God, period. It's not just true of the children of Israel. It's true for us too. We learn this later on when you get to, I believe it's Isaiah 52, where it, it speaks of the Lord um, who goes before them, but he's also their rearward. So he comes in front, he goes behind. Um, he's all around. In other words, uh, it, it's it's like the the prayer of um, St. Patrick, right? Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me. And so it's the same concept here, but we say, he sends an angel be for you. And so his position, we also see his protection is promised. He says before you to guard you on the way. So what a confidence this instills in them as they, as they, as they go on the way, knowing that God is their protection. He is their shield. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, when God promises to Abram at the time that he would be their shield. Also, we see that God is the, with them. He's not just going before them, but he says to guard you on the way and to bring you. See, there's a difference with that word bring. If I say I'm going to bring something, I'm going to bring a dessert to your house. Well, what does that tell you? It doesn't, I'm not sending a dessert to your house. If I'm sending a dessert, you might have a pie show up at your door from some delivery individual. But if I'm bringing a dessert to your door, it tells you I am also coming. It means my presence is going to accompany that dessert. And God says, I'm going to bring you. In other words, I'm not just putting you in a good place. I'm going with you to that good place. It's a, it's a whole nother level of intimacy, a language of accompaniment. We also see he promises his provision. And in that provision, we see how that provision comes. Bring you to the place I have prepared. I have prepared. He has this provision that's been packaged, that's been prepared. This is not a haphazard gift from God. No, he's taking them to a place that has distinctly the characteristics designed for their good. And the same is true for you. God wants to bring you into what he has prepared for your life. But do we trust it? Do we trust his preparation? Do we trust his goodness? Because I'll tell you, his goodness often does not look like our expectations or his goodness does not look what we deem as goodness because God is going for something oftentimes different than what we want. And so that's the question. What do we want? Do we want what God wants? Sometimes we want ease and God says, I'm not about ease. I'm about intimacy. Sometimes we want things quickly, and we're going to see in a few minutes, God is not about making things happen quickly, but rather it's a journey because in that journey is a, a, a desire of conformity to the image of his son that God's got for us. And so we'll get to that. We don't want to get there quite yet, but notice the way in which we should go. Now, now there, there's a note in between the way and the warning that I just want to draw out here because he goes in 21, pay careful attention to him, obey his voice, do not rebel against him. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to... Um, he says, behold, I sent an angel before you, right? So going back to the beginning of verse 20. And then, who, speaking of the angel in verse 21, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So 
All we knew from verse 20, per se, was that there is an angel accompanying. And, and the word angel, frankly, is not the most useful translation. And this is not me trying to dissect anything. This is just a basic principle in scripture. The word angel is a word messenger. So when you think of angel, oftentimes we think of, you know, seraphim, or we think of um, Gabriel or Michael or whatever, but it's really a messenger. And that's, that's the word. And so when you think about this messenger, well, it could be a wide variety of characters that could be a messenger that God is sending. And notice the characteristics of this messenger articulated in verse 21. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So, first of all, it, it says my name is in him. Uh, I just mentioned that there's only, I mentioned a couple angelic names that we know of in scripture, but even both those angelic names have the name of God in them, right? Because you've got um, you, you've got Michael, who is like God, El. El is in his name, right? You've got Gabriel, Gabriel. Um, again, El is in his name, and it means God is my strength, or God is a strong man. Both have El in their name, but nobody else commanded Israel or claimed to sit in judgment over them. And then what does it say here? It, it says, do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. Who can pardon transgression but God himself? Angels don't pardon transgression. We see that that's a divine act of God. But of course, all this points back to who this character really is. And in case you missed episode 12, I encourage you to go back and check it out because the entire episode is on the angel of the Lord. But what we come to in conclusion, and again, if you say, well, I didn't get that conclusion from what you just said right now, that's right, because you have to go back and listen to episode 12. But what you come to in conclusion is that this angel of the Lord, this angel that God sends before them is nothing less than the pre-incarnate Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. And again, if this is something you're like, whoa, 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 where are you getting this from? I really do encourage you to go back and listen to the other episode. Um, and, and if you still have questions after that, please feel free to have a discussion. It's a beautiful thing. But God's very presence accompanied them across that wilderness. So we have this first, the way. But then we have the warning. And this warning is so vivid. And it actually comes in two parts. It comes in verses 23 and 24. And then it, it concludes in 32 and 33. Notice what it says. When the, my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I blot them out. So he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from you. And it goes on to other things they'll do, like none of you shall miscarry or be barren. I'll fulfill the number of your days, and then the victory he's going to bring. Okay, and then look at the end, verse 32. You shall not make a covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Just let's discuss this for a few minutes. Um, first off, it really doesn't even make sense to adopt the gods of the very people that your God just annihilated. Uh, I, I hope that that's simple enough for us to grasp. And yet, it's what we do all the time. We worship that which is not God. We worship that which has no power. Um, so we're really not unlike these children of Israel. But I want us to notice a few warnings that uh, are given in the second point called the warning. Uh, first of all, God warns them to have no adoration, no adoration of these gods. It says this in verse 24, 
you shall not bow down to their gods. So in other words, don't adore them in any way. They might be beautiful works of art. They might somehow have some aesthetic appeal. It might be some cultural uh, cultural uh, practice that's going on. And, and we're going to see actually in a few chapters when we get to chapter 32 because they're really going to break this right away um, when they build the golden calf. But what are they doing? They're taking parts of their past back too. So there could even be nostalgia involved. But regardless of whatever it is, no adoration, no no giving of your heart to these gods. That's the first thing. The next thing you see is no acts of service. Um, don't serve them. Don't, don't do as they do. You shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. And of course, that's in verse 24. Um, as much as we might not have typically the gods that we would picture them having, we have similar gods that we give acts of service to. I think of the, the gods of our day, whether those gods be athletics and sports and the, and the time and the energy and the money and the, the passion and the worship that we pour into the gods of, of, of sports, athletics. Um, again, it's just, it's actually just enormous. Same thing with, you think of the, the god of materialism and the amount of time and investment into scrolling and finding the right products or going and perusing the atriums of a mall and, and, and the amount of items we buy and have to take back just to find that right. And there, there's this adoration, there's these acts of service, there is a, a, a cultural component of worship that we adopt oftentimes as we get integrated into the societies in which we live. This is that same concept being put forth here. In other words, he's saying it's easy to get sucked into what is normal. So no adoration, no acts of service. In fact, what does he say in verse 24? He says to uh, the, the wording is utterly, utterly overthrow them break their pillars in pieces. In other words, remove the very temptation of it from among you. Get sin out of the way. Don't play around with it, because if you play around with it, it'll actually take over. Then in verse 32, you see another element, no agreement with it. You shall not make a covenant with them and their gods. And this is oftentimes that in-between ground. We want to accommodate those around us. And I don't mean accommodate as in like a bad way. I mean accommodate as in accommodate the wicked worship. We want to accommodate sin. We want to have some in-between. We don't want to be extreme. And yet we follow the one who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, who says, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you take up your cross, you're not going on vacation. You're on your way to die. And yet so easily, what do we do? We make those covenants. We make those agreements. We take that neutral ground on things where God says, that is an idol. That is against me, against my heart. Um, and, and the fourth thing we would see in this warning is no access. It says, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Again, the, the children of Israel, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of our life in Christ in many ways. And this really goes back to uh, the lessons that we had on 
um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they were supposed to, you know, take leaven, obviously, not just out of um, their house, but eventually it was even out of the land itself. Um, there was, we would say, extreme, but the point is it's not extreme when it's something which destroys your soul. And so the point of no access here is that are we allowing things which destroy our soul to dwell in our land? And you might say our land, well, we're not going to go like purge the country you live in. Of No, that's not, that's not your role. But what about your home? Are you welcoming into your home things that actually destroy the soul? Are you welcoming in just the lyrics of, of music that infiltrate your house, that, that fill the ears of your children or of your spouse that actually have destructive tendencies? Not destructive tendencies. The words themselves are lies. The words themselves are full of lust. The words themselves are that which do not glorify God. That which we view. What about the things that we practice? What about the things that consume our time? What about the things that we invest into? Again, are we allowing them to dwell in our land? Are we welcoming them in? Not just accommodating, but actually bringing them in ourselves. Now we see a little later on, it's not going to take long at all. I already mentioned Exodus 32, but what about Numbers 25 after the whole Balaam episode? And we find out later Balaam had a part in in even uh, saying, hey, if you get your the, the, the boys to, to marry into these other people groups, then they're going to start to adopt the gods. And what does it say in Numbers 25 verse 2? These invited, well, let's read verse 1. Well, Israel lived in Shittim. The people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. See what happened? They intermarried. They accepted. They accommodated. They had agreement. They had covenant. They gave access and their hearts fell in love with the gods of the people. This is the way it goes. That's why God says there's a warning there. And the warning is don't give any place to such things. Of course, when you come to Ephesians, we have this warning to not give any place to the devil. Well, ultimately, this is what the enemy wants to use in our life. He wants to creep in with the gods of the age, whatever those gods might be. And so I ask you, be, be, take, take this seriously. We will have an entire episode really focus on idolatry when we come to Exodus 32. So for right now, I will just leave it there for us to think about. But we come to a third element, not just the warning, but the walk. The walk. Now, the walk itself, this is beautiful and encouraging as well. Look at verse 28. Now I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. All right, this is just beautiful. So there are three things I want to just note about the walk. First of all, that the walk is prepared. Notice five times in these verses, we have a phrase, before you. This is a prepared way. I will send the hornets before you. 
It says, um, he's going to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you. And then it goes on to end of verse uh, 31. And you shall drive them out before you. So there's this before you concept being uh, consistently communicated, right? And so it's a prepared path. And, and this is not just in this passage. It's, it's used in other places, even Deuteronomy 7.20. It talks about the Lord sending hornets from among them. Um, and then it, it goes on and it says the same in Joshua 24. It talks about the hornets. Again, I will send the hornet before you. Um, so I just love that he comes before, in this case, sending hornets. Uh, and this should be no surprise to us. He just gave all these plagues, put all these plagues on the land of Egypt. So now he's using creation again to do his bidding. Um, so again, before you, God is doing um, this preparatory work, preparing the way for them to walk in it. Um, notice for the second thing. It's not just a prepared walk. It's a patient walk. He notes very specifically in verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out from before you. And, and he says in verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Now, this might sound like a little strange. Why is he even saying this? Well, I think first he's saying it so their expectations are properly set. This is not going to be an overnight journey. This is not even going to be a couple week journey. It's not even going to be in one year. I will not drive them out in one year. It's going to be little by little. But this is so beautiful because here's what I want you to see. Why? Does he not drive them out before you? Well, first of all, the wild beasts would be too many, and then the land would be uncultivated. Uh, so, so understand something here. He is using their very enemies to do his bidding. He's using their very enemies to be a help to the children of Israel. So maybe today there's something in your life you wish God would just remove. It would be gone. And you say, my life would be easier. But what if that is working for you, not against you? See, God uses things in our life that, that he might even say that that's, that's an, an enemy of sorts. But I'm using it. I'm using it to bless your life. I'm using it to prepare the way. I'm using it to teach you patience. And so I want to encourage you that sometimes the very things we're asking God to remove in our life, he says, not yet. Not yet, because it still has a useful purpose. So be encouraged and trust his process. Trust his patience. But I love this phrase, little by little. I mean, imagine how overwhelming it would be if I tried to teach my, my little girls everything at one time. It would be absolutely exhausting for them. I mean, take any example you want. How about learning to play uh, soccer, football, right? Um, imagine if, if the first thing I tried to teach them was to do a, a rainbow kick. That would be ridiculous. Uh, even if I tried to teach them to juggle right away, that would be, that would, that would be a terrible coaching uh, coaching idea, concept, right? Or even to dribble the ball. No, they need to first learn just how to kick the ball. Just simply have a ball in front of them and kick the ball. You don't start with complex ways of moving the ball. You start with simply moving the ball. It's a little by little journey. It's the same in everything. We don't teach our children to eat by first cutting steak with a fork and a knife. No, rather, they begin very slowly by putting food to their mouth with their hand. And then there's an additional process of, of maybe starting a spoon and soft dishes. The point is, there is an incremental journey. Well, we before our father also are his children. 
And in that journey, he is conforming us into the image of his son, if indeed we are his children through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about that process, I want us to be encouraged that it is his grace that does not uh, just speed up the process because we need that step by step. We need to um, have that time to learn what he is teaching us. And so be encouraged by it. There's a song that I learned as a child and sang often at camps and, uh, and I think it was on kids' songs, but it goes little by little every day, little by little in every way. Jesus is changing me. Since I made a turnabout face, I've been growing in his grace. Jesus is changing me. And that is exactly what we see here. It's little by little. Now, I want to take this to one other level, though. The, the aspect of sin in our life. Now, I don't believe that if you see sin in your life that you should be little by little taking it out. And I think the, the Holy Spirit teaches us to deal with sin in our life. So if there's sin in your life and you know what to do, then obedience is to take that step of action. But aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit does not reveal the extent of my sin or your sin to you all at once? Because the reality is, I have so much sin in my life. I just don't know what all of it is, and I'm thankful I don't. I'd be so overwhelmed by how unlike Jesus Christ I am, by, by how uh, what, what that journey of sanctification needs to look like today. But instead, what does the Holy Spirit do? He shows me, convicts me every day of things in my life that don't look like his holiness, things that don't look like his son. See, he's changing me. He's conforming me. He's revealing to me both in the things I do and in the things I don't do. And I just want to encourage you. We can easily try to play the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. When they come to Jesus Christ, we can see their life and see all the sin and say, man, that's got to change and that's got to change. And we overwhelm them instead of letting the Holy Spirit convict them step by step. I'm not saying we don't teach them what the word of God says. I'm not saying that we don't identify things, the lifestyles, that, that it's, hey, this doesn't line up with the holiness of God. I'm not saying we don't say that. But I'm also saying our role is not the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to present the word of God. Our responsibility is to teach them clearly what God has said and let the Holy Spirit in them, if indeed the Holy Spirit is in them, if they have come to Jesus Christ for salvation, then let him change them step by step, little by little. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that God does in our life. Now, the other thing I, I, I love about um, just this this whole journey is that God didn't, need the children of Israel to do the job. Uh, he, he wasn't looking for their help in a way where he was incapacitated or unable to do it without them. No, rather, on the contrary, God could have done it all in one day very easily. Just by sending hornets alone, he could have taken out all the people. But he didn't. See, he chose to do it incrementally. He chose to use them as part of the process. And we even see that. He says, now you shall drive them out. See, he could have driven them out, but he had them also participate in that journey. And that's the same in our lives, is it not? That yes, God could do whatever, but many times he says, no, I want you to take the step of obedience. I want you to take that out of your life. I want you to 
obey me, trust me in not pursuing that objective. So I, I hope these things are, are things that you can just take to your prayer life and see what the Lord um, instructs you. The last thing I just want to briefly mention about the walk is that it was participative. And I actually just alluded to that. I just mentioned it. You shall drive them out. He's cleared the way, but now we we have to do the part that God calls us to do, not in our salvation, not whatsoever from beginning to end. That is a work of God. It is finished on the cross and whosoever will may come. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. And even that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so that none of us have any right to boast. That's our salvation. But as we walk in Christ, there are many responsibilities that God says, I want you to obey me in this. and I want you to trust me in this. Be holy even as I am holy. And so now we get to participate in this world and what God is doing. We get to be workers in his field. We get to go and make disciples and teach and baptize. What a privilege. And in everything we do, what do we get to do it with? Who do we get to do it with? We get to do it with the very one who saved our soul. Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And he does that through filling us with his Holy Spirit of promise. See, there's so many parallels between Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 33, and the walk of a believer. But we are in Exodus. We are looking at this through the lens of the children of Israel. And so what comes next is a dramatic, um, a dramatic part of the story where there is an encounter with the Almighty, and it leads into some very specific instructions that are going to be given. But that's going to be for next time. So I encourage you to check out www.intoyourbible.org for more resources that I hope can be an encouragement to you. You can check out our YouTube page or Instagram for a lot more um, just videos to check out and subscribe if you don't want to miss any episodes or share it with a friend if it can be an encouragement to them. But remember, this has been Into Your Bible, and this is a place where we seek a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word.